In today's show, we're talking Brooklyn Nets. We're looking at the fantasy outlook for this squad for the upcoming season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. All right, we're going to talk Brooklyn Nets in today's show. So we might as well start talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> Remember, you will get an opportunity to join the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. There is an entry form down in the comments below. There will be a question that is specific to this show that you will get later on and you hear about it. I'm going to fill up two category divisions today. So 24 spots and one points league division today. You can enter both. The rules are there on the screen. Uh, There's a rule document that's linked in the um, entry form, which you'll see down uh, down below in the description, audio-wise or video-wise. So if you do want into the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl, get in there. At the time of me recording this, haven't sent out any invites for the Hawks or for the Celtics. I'm going to leave them a few days to marinate, and then we'll start churning out. So enter as many shows as you can, and you'll see when you get an invite sent out. You hopefully won't get invites sent out to multiple divisions. Fingers crossed. All right, let's uh, let's talk about this Brooklyn Nets team. That's where we're here. That's what we're here to do. So we might as well get into it right now. Let's start with looking at their schedule for the season coming up. They do have 46 quality games. That's not a particularly high amount. It's not um, It's not the worst. The worst is actually 39 in terms of quality games. So they're smack bang in the middle, the same as the Atlanta Hawks. By now, you should know why quality games can be important or at least a part of the discussion when valuing players. It just opens up other spots on your roster. Quality games became become really important when streaming as well. When looking who to add for particular weeks, are you actually going to use them? Are they good enough to play? So that's uh, that's really the important part of that there. They're right in the middle for back-to-backs, 14 of them. I would say the only guy who's got any element of resting there is Ben Simmons because of the knee and, more importantly, the back problems that he has suffered. I wouldn't think it would happen every time, but that's probably the only one there. In terms of maximum weeks, they're on the low side there. They have 13. What do I mean by maximum weeks? How many weeks during the 24-week fantasy season are the Nets... Um, slated to play the most games in a week. How many times would you go, oh, it's a four-game week. How many times does that happen? 13. It happens for them. The most in the NBA is 16. The fewest is 12. So it's not a gigantically broad range, but they're towards the lower end of that. Their playoffs are very interesting. There's only one five-game week in the NBA this season, and it's the Brooklyn Nets in week one of the playoffs that end on the 24th of March. But then they follow it up with a three and the three. So that puts them at 11 total games, which is all right but it's not the max during that time. There is a team with a 4-4-4. 
they don't actually max out any playoff schedule or any playoff uh, alignment here. They go 5-3-3, 3-3-4 if you finish on the 31st, 3-4-4 if you finish on the 7th, and if you're insane enough to play till the final day, they go 4-4-3. They're not dreadful playoff schedules. They're actually all pretty strong. But none of them, apart from that one on the 31st, which is a little bit lower, but none of them max out. They don't provide the most value in any of those situations. What are the pressure points for this Brooklyn Nets team? What's the question that adjusts things the most? What's the, again, I can say, what's the drone view? We're looking down over top. Like, what do we go? Oh, well, what can happen here? Simmons. Well, really, it's Ben Simmons. Is he going to be healthy? He claims he's going to be the starting point guard. What if Jacques Vaughn says, nah, I don't think so, bro. You're uh, you're still our uh, our backup center. Psych! That's the wrong number! It could be the case. I don't know. Does Can he play next to Spencer Dinwiddie? Does he play at power forward at all? Uh, can he and Claxton coexist? Can he stay healthy? Is his mental health good enough to play? Can he attack the rim? Can he take shots? Can he do any of these things? I honestly have no idea. And while we're going to talk more about Simmons, he's going to go under the lens in this show. We'll talk more about him later on. It's not just about the impact on him. It's the impact on everybody else. Because if he is fit and firing, maybe that reduces what Dinwiddie does. If he is out, well, then Daron Sharp gets those gets more backup center minutes. And there's more playing time for Dennis Smith and for Cam Thomas and for Finney Smith and for Royce O'Neal. So many guys can change depending on whatever the hell happens with Ben Simmons. And honestly, it is... Yeah, it is. It's the biggest unknown in the NBA. I've got no idea. I don't really care that much about workouts and he's draining threes. He looks great. He's always looked great. But what happens when the lights are on? How does his back hold up? I honestly don't know. The other thing is, is I don't know where this team is headed. I think they think they're way better than they are. I don't think they're good. They really struggled down the stretch last season, but cycling back, circling back to point one, that was without Ben Simmons. If Simmons is actually good, what if he's 85% of all NBA Ben Simmons? Well, maybe they're not, you know, on track to be the 25th best team in the NBA, which is, that maybe that's being harsh, but the way they played post-trade, that's what they were. But if Simmons isn't good or can't play, do they say, well, bro, like, what are we doing here? We've got these mid-20s guys, Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, these older players, Finney, Smith, and O'Neal, Claxton's running, is out of contract. Do they just say, screw it, we're... Chucking in the tower. We've got future picks coming from the Suns and um, from the Mavericks. Um, do we trade guys away? Do we look to rebuild? Do we cash in on Bridges while he's middle of the prime? And that changes a whole bunch of stuff. All of that stuff I think is possible. In terms of looking at breakout candidates, you know the way I'm looking at this is guys that when you look at their overall median projection outcomes, who's got a chance to really blow up and, and blow through that? I've got the two cams here. I'm not that big on Cam Thomas. As anyone who's watched his channel will be well aware, Cam Thomas can really score with the best of them. We saw it last season. The problem is he can't do anything else. He can't defend. He can't play within a team structure. He's not a very good passer. And Jacques Vaughn benched him for those reasons. He scored 40 when everybody was out. And then when a player came back, he's just not as good as those guys. But maybe he figures it out. Would I be year three here for Thomas? Could he start to figure it out? Or is he just done? Like, is he just not a rotation player and they brought Lonnie Walker in to play over him? There's a chance that, again, given the way this team looks with a bunch of forwards and not many guards, what if he actually does blow up and become a team player and become a number one option, allowing Bridges to settle in to be a number two? 
And the other one is Cam Johnson. He might be the maybe he maybe he's the two behind Bridges. Maybe he does develop into a legitimate big volume stretch four, hitting forty four percent of threes, grabbing eight rebounds with some good defensive numbers, improves his overall usage and playmaking. I think there's a possibility of that. Or is he just a bit part role player who might be overstretched at, at times during the season? But he's got that upside. Like I wouldn't say that there's gigantic, huge breakout potential in Simmons or Dinwiddie or Bridges. Or maybe even, I don't even know if Claxton's a breakout guy considering how we've projected him. But those two guys, I think there is a little bit, there's a little bit there for those players. Today's episode, shouldn't have said that. Now I'll say it. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets. It doesn't matter if you win or lose that initial bet. You get those bonus bets back, and then you can use those bonus bets on so many things. So if you've been looking to join FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. Use those bonus bets. You can do it on spreads for NBA preseason games coming up. College football. The NFL, as that's what we're talking about. And the Dolphins ready to run the table. Money lines, totals, over-unders, player props, futures, Australian NBL. It's all there. Maybe it's not NBL, but it's all there on FanDuel. So go and check it out and get those bonus bets. And how you do that is you go to FanDuel.com slash on, and that helps you kick off the NFL season. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL and don't forget to gamble responsibly. All right, that will bring us to go under the lens. Who are we sliding under there? It's the big fella. It's Ben Simmons. And there's good reason that you voted for him because, like I said, is there a more question mark player at the moment in the NBA? I don't know. If there is, I'd love to know who it is. It was not a great season from Simmons last season. And as the season went on, things got worse. He started out okay, but then he was resigned to being with the way Claxton played, literally Claxton's backup. And what you can see there on the screen is his minus one weekly rank. And there was a, there's a strong week. Look at week six, ninth best player in fantasy. He was you know top 50 or almost top 50 in four weeks, five weeks. He was definitely top 50 in one of them. And there was five weeks where he was very, very solid and usable. But there were plenty where he was just not useful at all. That trend line's clearly, clearly headed in the wrong direction as he moved into a strictly backup center role. But that is, does that explain anything about Simmons this season? It means that he was bad. We saw that usage for him dropped. We saw that the shooting stuff was still terrible. We saw that the defensive ability for him had fallen away. But is that is that the back injury? Is it mental health? Is the mental health tied to the back injury? Is he does he just not care? I I, I don't know. But it wasn't a good trend last season. He was though on a per game basis, eighty first in Yahoo leagues points, seventy seventh in ESPN points leagues, one hundred fifth in minus one. And for as disastrous as his season was. Being 105th on a minus one per game basis is actually better than I thought it would be. Yeah, he's going to have some issues with scoring. He's never going to hit threes, but rebounds, assists, some steals, some blocks, some good field goal percentage. 
there's use in all of that stuff. We see the way, and this is going to be, I think, relatively telling. You see the way that that minus one rank gets worse as the season goes on. Well, part of that is his minutes dropped down as the season went on. He had a couple of big spike weeks, week 12, week 13, week 14, but overall the trend line was down. And before he shut it down with his back injury towards the end of the season, we were seeing yeah, some really, really low minutes numbers. You see a couple of spots there where he didn't play at all in week three, and then again in week 17. And then, of course, he didn't play for those final seven weeks or so as the season, and things were trending down for him. And the other thing that's probably a little concerning is part of the reason that Simmons was a very good fantasy player was being able to generate really interesting assist numbers with high rebounds, with high field goal percentage, which is not a combination you usually get. But even last season, like that, dropped off. The assists were nowhere near what they had been in the past. There were some interesting weeks. It's a 31 assist week, a 33 assist week. But moving towards that center position, so many weeks where he's getting under 20 assists, 18, 16, 12, 13, 12. There's a three and a two. There's a 13. There's an eight. All those numbers dropped away. Every taste you have in your mouth about Simmons from last season should be bitter, should be negative, should be bad. I thought he'd be much better than this. I was like, okay, drafting him round eight, I think, is where I was looking at him. Didn't work out very clearly. But again, is it different this year? Is everything different? Is he back at point guard and not at center? Can he average seven and a half assists a game? Can he get you 20 a week regularly? Can he get you 30 a week sometimes? Maybe. Can we see that you know, just shifted up four or five spots? I have to think that there's a chance of it, but we don't know. And we're going to talk about how we value that later on. The Darko change graph is a little concerning as well. We saw that his level of improvement was positive for a while. There was a nice little resurgence at the start of the 1920 season, but regression has really kicked in. It's really started to kick in around the 2020-2021 season. He was losing value, injuries struck, mental health, and he is regressing. The regression is beginning. He's not fully at full regression age, but we want this graph to start to turn back around. And it is definitely not heading in the right direction, but again, there are mitigating circumstances with that. And how do we balance it? The good thing is, is that fantasy sites and fantasy drafters are meaning we basically are taking free hits on Simmons. It doesn't, like, if that continues to decline, if the assists don't appear, if he keeps getting injured, you're not losing anything. I thought this was interesting to look. I didn't look at the 21 22 season because you know, he didn't play really, all, he didn't play all season. I looked back to 2020-2021, last season for the Sixers, and then this season for the, the Nets. And the two things I've got on the graph there are drives per 75 possessions and the amount of the percentage of time playing on ball. So as a lead ball handler, point guard sort of situation. You'll see at the top right of that graph is Simmons in his final season for Philadelphia, where he was driving over in terms of percentile drives per 75 possessions, like in the 85th percentile, like driving a lot. Right up there is one of the top drivers driving to the rim in the NBA. Last season, down be- down below the 60th percentile. So basically an average level of driver. And part of the reason Simmons was able to be successful without a shot is he would relentlessly attack the rim and he would finish at the rim. He's six foot 10 as a ball handling point guard, as a great passer, dribbler, attack the rim, dunk it, lay it in. That's the reason he was able to have success. 
but it stopped. He stopped driving. And also the interesting thing is that back in that last season with Philadelphia, he was in the 90th percentile of guys who played on ball. He had the ball in his hands. Last season, it, he still had it a little bit, but he's down under around 80% of the time. So drives down, ball out of his hands. Those two things married up. So if he is playing point guard again, no Kyrie Irving on this team. If he is playing point guard again, does that number on the x-axis, the on-ball percentage, move back up to 90? And if so, does that push the drives back up, which then should lead to an increase in field goal percentage, an increase in scoring, and an increase in fantasy value? That's a level of hope, not that I'm clinging to, but a level of hope that is there. Let's look at some fantasy sleepers and it will bring us to talk about Ben Simmons to start things off. Because like I said, don't worry about risk. There's none. He's ranked at 164 on Yahoo. His ADP is 133. His Fantrax ADP is 122. His ESPN ranked 9 cat is 307. Like if you want to laugh, like come on. 307. What are we doing here? Um, his points rank is 197. Bro, he was top 90 last season per game. In ESPN points. These are 134 ADP. If you are taking Ben Simmons in round 11, which every piece of data here suggests, honestly, there is no downside at all. There's no downside. Does he get hurt? Does he suck? Drop him, man. Who cares? But honestly, how do you see... And maybe he, maybe he's bad. Like that, That's possible. Durant has an okay sort of look at him in terms of value for the upcoming season, like top 75-ish per game. My regular projections have him at a pretty good spot of like top 70 per game. That's, yeah, but you're never drafting him there and you don't have to. You get him late. That's what we want. If you get a guy in round 11 or round 12 or round 30, according to the, some of those ranks there, and he turns into a top 100 player, even if he only plays 60 games... It's a W. It's an unquestioned W. There's an element. What's the chances of it? Low. How confident are we? No, no confidence whatsoever. But there's a lot there. There's a lot of value to squeeze out of that. And then it was hard to find another real sleeper. So I did go with Nick Claxton. Claxton last season was someone that in the final adjustment of... um, of Yahoo uh, rankings, he came out like really low, like 130th, which when we looked at it, we went, what are, what are we, what's going on here? Because his, you know, no one was playing center there. We didn't know how many minutes they were going to give to him, but it was an unbelievable opportunity to get him. And, and he exceeded our expectations without any question. He averaged 30 minutes a night, 12 and a half points, nine rebounds, two and a half blocks, 71%. Now he's a very, not strict head-to-head guy, but he gives you few goals. Blocks, rebounds. No threes, no points, no assists, okay steals, and bad free throws, although the volume's not particularly high there. So he's pretty strong in all those areas. Um, I think the the argument for more out of Claxton this season is, what if he just plays more than 29.9 minutes? And I think that's a relatively reasonable argument. I worry that, some of these maybe aren't ideal because, again, 
do blocks and high field goal percentage, lower volume sometimes get overrated in players? It is possible, yes. Um, but when we're looking at like him sitting with an ADP, well, he's ranked 56th on Yahoo. I actually think there's pretty good value in that. And I don't think that, you know, five spots of value is not enough. Like I want at least a round in these early zones and at 56, there is that, but he's getting drafted higher than that 49. And I'm not sure that there's extreme value there. His ADP on Fantrax is 50. His rank on ESPN is 50 for points and 51 for 9K. And 50 for points on ESPN for Claxton is probably getting a little bit crazy. He was 47th last year, averaging 38. That's definitely not, it's not super value. It's okay. And I've crossed these out to say, they're not they're not like, wow, insane value. You've got to target 100% of the time at all of these spots. But if you slide a 56, past that ranking number anyway, and his ADP on ESPN 62, that's value. I think he beats that by a round, a round and a half, two rounds. Yeah, if you are marrying yourself to straight nine cat rankings, no weightings, no Durant, including turnovers, he's going to look like a second round player. If you draft him in the second round, you're going to lose your league. It's very simple because he gets no threes. It'll be not enough points and you can't come back for that. He's not great at free throws. There's no assists. He'll help you in a couple of categories. Like that's that's a losing proposition. But if you're getting him at 56 towards the end of round five, ESPN's got him sliding to the start of round six. There is value in doing that. But... Yeah, there wasn't many guys who went, oh, that's amazing value for this player. So I do want to include Claxton, but it is a little bit context-dependent. It is definitely more so in category leagues than it is in points leagues. Last season in points leagues for Yahoo, he averaged 35, which was 56th. So again, you look at that. Yahoo ranked a, a, a points league 56. It's okay. I do think he's better than that in points leagues this season. I think he plays more. Maybe he gets 38, 39 fantasy points. I don't know. So there's a little bit of value in him. But when you're getting to 48... 49, it takes a little bit of that upside away. It's not dreadful, but it takes a little bit of that upside away. Quick question about the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. Just answer the number only. Don't give me any other details in the in the quiz. This is the one from uh, watching the show. Actually, what are we going to do? Yeah, no, we'll do it here. Nick Claxton played how many games last season? The answer is 71. So Claxton played how many games last season? The answer there is 71. And that is the wrong screen. But this is the right one. Because when I look at fantasy busts for this team, um, I, I don't really see any. I don't really see any. Because what's a bust? Like at some point you go, there's no way I'm taking him there. It's going to kill my team. Yeah, I could argue that maybe taking Mikhail Bridges at pick number 20. Is that great? I have some worries about him maintaining defensive stats and efficiency. But I, I, I don't dislike it. It's not destroying your team. It's not something they would likely do every time. But a couple of my metrics, Durant actually doesn't mind him in that spot. The minus one stuff, not as big of a fan of where he sits as an overall. I got him at 34 in that area, but it's not the end of the world. And his Roto rank pushes him up a little bit higher. Um, Yeah, I, I don't, it's not terrible. Same as looking at Spencer Dinwiddie, who's he got a rank, an ADP of ESPN at 86. Now I actually actively dislike Spencer Dinwiddie at 86, 
as an ADP on ESPN, but everywhere else, 102x rank on Yahoo. Um, ESPN's actually got him ranked at 100. People are just, for some reason, going higher on him. If you're taking him at 100, I don't think it, I don't think it destroys you to take Dinwiddie there. Yeah, the ESPN ADP for Dinwiddie is too high at number 86. There's no so could I have included him as a bust to say if you take him specifically at ESPN ADP you will have a bad time? I could have, yeah. No problem. But that's just one specific thing. Everywhere else around the 100, 110 mark for Dinwiddie is totally okay. One thing to note with Dinwiddie is we'll just make this a Dinwiddie section is that once he joined the Nets last season, his assist rate just went through the roof. No Simmons. The other guys aren't passers. Bridges, Johnson, Finney Smith, O'Neill, no one passes. But if he shares the court with Simmons, and we saw Simmons' on-ball percentage there, or if he's the backup to Simmons, that sky-high assist rate, which kept Dinwiddie useful, is going to come back, I would guess, more closer to career numbers. And that makes him... And I've, I've accounted for that in all my projections for him. So when I say that if you get him at 110, 100, it's okay, that's accounting for that. But if you haven't looked into the numbers and you, we see the numbers in Brooklyn, go, look what he did in Brooklyn. Just remember that the no Simmons thing is is definitely um, is definitely a part of it. It's definitely something that is that is worth us paying attention to. If it was Spencer, his shooting is atrocious. He hasn't hit threes in big volume in the past, but was much better at it. He's a bad rebounder. He never gets defensive stats either. So I think he's totally okay. He also played almost 35 minutes a game last season, which I'm not sure is going to happen. So maybe we could put him there, but again, at 100, 110, it's okay. Two injuries to pay attention to for the Nets. Ben Simmons with his back. He looks okay, but I haven't seen him play a game yet. So I need to see that. And the other one is the pimple, Derek Whitehead, who they drafted in the first round. I really like Derek. I think he's a lottery type player. This is second foot surgery. I don't think he's going to play at all this season. I think ideally, he's a great shooting guard small forward on a team. I think he can turn into an all-star level player. But he's not going to play much at all this season. Not only do they have Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, but there's Lonnie Walker, Cam Thomas coming off the bench, and the bloke's just turned 19, and he's got a broken foot. There's a lot of things going against the pimple at the moment. I don't think we see very much of him. Just keep an eye on what he does for Long Island in the G League when he's actually out there and playing. What's a guy they might trade away? I was going to include Bridges here in this, but they seem reluctant to, which is silly to me. If they got offered pick number three to get Scoot Henderson and from the, the Blazers and didn't trade Bridges for it, that's absolutely ludicrous to me. It would have been ludicrous for Portland to do it, but it's insane to have not done that if that, in fact, was there on the table for them. Now, I do get the feeling that Portland said, we'll give you Simons and three for Claxton and Bridges, and I can understand some hesitance there, but also, I still would have done it, I think. Simons and Scoot definitely would have done that, I think. I think they trade away Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't really know what his point is on this team. Is he actually a super good player? No, he's okay. Like if Simmons is actually here and they think Simmons and Bridges can be those guys along with Johnson, then Dinwiddie doesn't really serve a role. They've got Dennis Smith behind. I'm not sure that he stays. They'd want to get some guards back because you know relying upon guards like Cam Thomas or Lonnie Walker, probably not ideal. And Drake Whitehead's not ready for it. 
Bridges is better as a three, but can play as a two. And then you want to get some center depth. Like they just signed Harry Giles. I don't think he's going to make the roster, but there's like their backup is Dayron Sharp. Eventually, it's Noah Clowney, who I really like long term. But at the moment, there's not much in terms of the big men depth. They've also, we talk about like what direction they're going in. What are they going to do to blow it up? Are they actually good or not? They've got a lot of blokes coming out of contract at the end of this season. Contract to your players. Nick Claxton, unrestricted free agent. Spencer Dinwiddie, unrestricted free agent. The Basmati man, Royce O'Neal, unrestricted. Dennis Smith just signed this season for a minimum. An elite backup defensive point guard. Elite. Elite defender. Trenton Watford. I really like Trenton Watford as a player. I think he should be in their rotation. I can't believe Portland just cut him. No sense. Like him. And Lonnie Walker, unrestricted free agent. Not very good. But a lot of guys there who legitimately, Claxton, Dinwiddie, O'Neal, Smith, Watford, Walker, that's six players who it's not that hard to make a case for them to be in the rotation opening night. Meaning the only other guys are uh, Bridges, Johnson, who they just re-signed, Simmons, and maybe Sharp. There's someone else I'm missing there. Uh, Finney Smith, other guy on the contract in their rotation. So they could do a lot of different things. Most of these guys are like, you know, Smith, if Dinwiddie's gone and Simmons has gone Den- or injured, Dennis Smith is a fantasy basketball option. But at the moment, he, he's not. Trenton Watford, if he ever gets to start, he can be worth a 12-team league spot, but he's not there. Lonnie Walker is not. I'll say it again, he's not. He's not a 12-team league player. And then there's the, big, the bigger two, though, are Claxton and Dinwiddie. And do they just say, look, we're not going anywhere. We might actually get a couple. Maybe you get a couple of firsts for Claxton. Maybe Dallas is so interested. I mean, give us a center. I don't think they would be after drafting Derek Lively. Maybe they are. Claxton's young. He's like 24. I think Claxton's actually, and I talked about him before, Sleeper. He's got a little bit of upside in terms of driving and ball handling. I think he can do a bit with the ball in his hands. I'm not, he's not a great passer, but he's not stiff. He's not like, let's chuck the ball to Ennis Cantor and nothing happens. If you give him the ball, he can put some moves on. He can make ground. He can drive. He can bring it up a little bit in transition. So he's got a little bit of off, uh, offensive upside. Never shooting upside. But a little, uh, offensive upside and shooting upside are two different things. He's got offensive upside to be able to play transition and get out and run and get his teammates involved just by being fast and athletic. So he, he is one to watch in that respect and see how they use him or if they just piss him off. The risks in the rotation, what if Simmons does just play backup center? Well, then our projections of Dinwiddie are way too low. Our projections of Cam Thomas or Lonnie Walker or Dennis Smith are too low. Our projections of Dayron Sharp are too high. Maybe our projections of Nick Claxton are too high. If those two are only going to share the... And obviously, our projections of Simmons are too high. What if Cam Thomas actually steps up? What if he learned his lesson and he's focusing on a bunch of stuff? Because they don't have an elite scorer, shot creator. Bridges did a pretty good job at it. I don't think you want him as your number one player, but he's a, he's a very, very good player. But what if Thomas is able to jam himself into that role? You know, if that works out, next to Simmons, next to Bridges, like Finney Smith, O'Neal, Dinwiddie aren't going to hold that back. I would say the chances of Cam Thomas doing it are really low because I don't have faith in him doing it. But he could actually blow up or he's the same bloke and Jacques Vaughn says, we don't need you. We'll play Simmons, Dinwiddie. We'll play Smith and Walker. We'll play Bridges and Johnson and Finney Smith and O'Neill. And we don't need you at all. And in year three, if we get into the same situation again, he's cooked. It's really make or break, I think, for Cam Thomas this season. 
And then the other risk is that Jacques Vaughan just says, well, we've got so many guys who are the same. Theoretically, same size, same value. Dinwiddie, not, he's not the same size, but you know, Finney Smith, O'Neal. How are they different? Playing behind Cam Johnson, same size, different player. Playing behind Bridges. There's Dinwiddie, there's Simmons. There's just so many guys. What if he goes and playing 12 guys a night and rotating Thomas and Walker and Smith and Simmons and everyone coming in? There's 12, 13 rotation players on this team. And that really limits, probably limits more guys like O'Neal and Finney Smith, who you are definitely not drafting in 12-team leagues. Please don't get yourself confused about that. I just want to double check just to make sure there's no shenanigans going on. No one's shenanigizing the numbers on Finney Smith or O'Neal. No, they're sitting at like 150, 160, which is, don't get fooled into picking with the last round, but at least they're not getting overhyped in, in that regard. Oh, the other one I could have mentioned, sorry, just fly back. Uh, Cam Johnson, for some reason, has an ADP of 120 on ESPN which is one of the most batshit insane things you'll see. That If you're getting him at 120, congratulations. Well done. You have poss- you want to talk league winners? Uh, it's, a league- uh, it's not quite a league winner, but it's uh, relatively close. When you're looking at per 36 numbers, the guy that stands out on this team is Dayron Sharp, an absolutely elite rebounder, really good offensive rebounder. Not a terrible, not a terrible free throw shooter. I'm not saying that he's a good free throw shooter, but he's not terrible, I think. I think he only shot 64 last season. I think he can be better than that, but he's a good field goal guy. He's a good rebound guy. He can block shots pretty well. And if Claxton was traded, if Claxton was hurt and Sharp played 27, uh, top 100 would be... Like, think... I know that I'm big on grabbing value on Dan Gafford this season. It's not because I think Dan Gafford's an awesome player. It's because he's got a stat set that does work for fantasy and gets undervalued a lot. Well, if Sharp was to play the same role that Gafford plays, I'd feel probably the same way. I don't think he's particularly good, but if the opportunity is there, well, there is a chance for 10, 10, two blocks, 60%, maybe 75 from the line. Maybe even 12 rebounds in 27 minutes. He's a very good rebounder. Let's look at their depth chart. I don't love that I put Ben Simmons as a guard, but he sees himself as a guard. Outside of last season, he has played exclusively as a guard in his career. And I think he probably will again. Maybe as a forward, but he basically, not only does he play as a guard with the ball in his hands, but he guards point guards. And even last season, when you look at some of the data on basketball index, the position he guarded the most was point guard, even though he was playing center. So I'm putting him as their guard. I think he starts as a guard. I don't know that Dinwiddie starts. I don't think he will. I think if they start Simmons, he won't start. He could, but he won't. But he's their backup. And then there's Cam Thomas, Dennis Smith, and they do have Amani Brooks, who at times has shown an ability to be a bit of a scorer, but not really. But Simmons is their starter there. Dinwiddie, again, last round pick. Thomas, we watch it, we see. Dennis Smith, absolute elite streamer, fill-in sort of player. Um, and then there's Amani Brooks, who we don't care about. Wings, it's really Mikhail Bridges who I haven't spoken a ton about on this show, but I think there's been a lot done on him. I think he can be overvalued at times, but I actually don't hate it at the end of the second round. Is is he going to get injured at some point? Yes. When that is, I couldn't tell you. And if I could tell you, I'd be lying because I'd be making it up. He's not going to play every game for his career. It doesn't work like that. He has suffered some efficiency issues. He started pulling up for mid-range twos instead of getting to the rim or taking threes, which is not a great recipe for maintaining high-level efficiency. He's never going to be a passer or a rebounder, and all these defensive numbers dropped off a lot. 
So there is a risk, if you, especially for some, I've heard people go, I'll take him end of the first round. That's crazy to me. End of the second, okay. Middle of the third, love it. Fantastic, brilliant pick. But I'm not sure that he can push further than that. Behind him, it is Lonnie Walker and it is the pimple direct whitehead when he's healthy. But of course, they can play Dinwiddie and Simmons together or Simmons and Thomas together. And you know, again, these positions are relatively fluid. I just noticed on this next slide that I wrote Cam Thomas when I should have wrote Cam Johnson. That is a owl. What, what do they say? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll hold it. I'm not going to go back and edit it just now. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. That's embarrassing. And isn't that better? The forwards, Cam Johnson and Dorian Finney-Smith, I think will start with Royce O'Neill coming off the bench. Now, again, Finney-Smith might be replaced by Royce O'Neill. He might be replaced by Spencer Dinwiddie. He might be replaced by Cam Thomas. He might be replaced by Lonnie Walker. I doubt it. But I wouldn't say he's locked in. His shooting fell completely off a cliff. He's still a really good-sized, solid defender. But a lot of these undrafted types, like O'Neill, like Finney-Smith, they get to this age, 29, 30, and they can just fall right way off a cliff. And I do fear that for Finney-Smith, who was pretty bad in Dallas and pretty bad in Brooklyn. We're not drafting him at all in 12s. 14s, maybe. I think he is going to start. The other forward depth there, and what we look at forwards, and I guess Bridges can play one of the forward positions, but the other forward is Jalen Wilson, 51st pick out of Kansas. Had a really good summer league. That team wasn't particularly strong. He does seem to need the ball in his hands a lot to be successful. And on this team, that's not going to happen. So I worry about how he adjusts his game. The bigs, it is Claxton who will start. Interested to see what he can do. He's got a little bit more offensive juice, like I said. Defensively, he's really good. But an unrestricted free agent, do they get an offer they can't refuse? I don't know. And then there are other bigs. There's Dayron Sharp, who should be primarily the backup. There's 18-year-old Noah Clowney, who I do think can turn into a stretch five with good rim-protecting instincts, but it will be rough this year. There's Trenton Watford, who has a chance to maybe be... Maybe Trenton... Honestly, maybe Trenton Watford's better than Dorian Finney-Smith this season. Play at the four, at least a backup five. And then the other one they signed is Darius Baisley, who's a horrendous shooter. Got traded to Phoenix last season and never played but does have some defensive ability. He also seems like he's maybe not maybe not quite the guy that a lot of teams want off the court. There is a part of that, I think, to it, but he's a part of their big man rotation as well. Let's just have a quick look at a couple of my new metrics, Bazemore and Durant. For Durant, Dayron Sharp is a little bit more valued there than he is in traditional metrics, but interestingly, Claxton and Simmons seem to, in my latest iteration of it, seem to be a little bit lower there. I think Claxton is some of the overvaluation of field goals and blocks, and Simmons is, uh, sometimes his assists can be overrated somewhat there as well. So they were just, they weren't much, they weren't much, but they were a little bit lower versus traditional rankings in the in the Durant mode. For Bazemore, which is my dynasty metric, again, it's going to be tweakable for whatever you want to look at. We're trying to go straight down the middle here. It didn't have Bridges as a top 30 player, which I know some people will think is a little controversial. What is he, like 27? So he's starting to hit prime. I worry that if he remains in this spot, his lack of defense, passing rebounds, assists, and efficiency hurt him. And if he goes somewhere else to go back to the guy he was in Phoenix, then the usage drops off and he sort of stays mid. He's not far outside the top 30, but he's not like an elite asset. The other one I thought would be higher was Noah Clowney. It is harder to use a um, formulaic ranking system to dynasty instead of a subjective list for a lot of these rookies who you don't expect to play much this season, not like Clowney. 
I could be very high on Clowney, and I am. In my dynasty rookie ranks, I had him like top 20, maybe even higher. I think I definitely had him higher. Actually, I think I might have had him top 12 or 13. I think he's got a really interesting fantasy game. But let's be honest. Guys get picked in the 20s. Shout out to Henry Allenson, TJ Leaf. Um, who else is... Who else would I think of? Anyway, there's a lot of them just it doesn't work. That, that, there's no success. Or he's Jared Allen. Or he's OG Ananobi. Or he's Bobby Portis and turns into a reliable player. But it's so hit or miss. Then when we look at the things that we know in terms of how he's going to do this season, it's really hard to get super excited in a startup. And there will be people that take him at pick 180, 190 in a startup. And again, there's going to be some ability to adjust this. But at the moment, not great. And that will do it for me today. Oh, by the way, Drake Whitehead, I think, was in the 270s. I liked him a little bit more with the Durant slash Bazemore combination. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Drop your entries in the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl in the description on YouTube or in the show notes on audio. Uh, Bell, thumbs, whatever. Do it all. Guys, we're done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Slapping me. <laughs> <laughs>